0: but when it's done and when it's done well, it's magic. This
1: is low key, really a good movie. (laughs) No, it's not low key a good movie. No, it's it's high key key a good good movie. (laughs) It was one night only. I I watch it every day and scream. It is like no other. And I also feel like I may be capable of singing it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) How could we forget that? How could we forget that? Hi everyone and welcome back to Off to Broadway, the podcast where we deep dive into anything and everything musical theater from the comfort of my car. I'm Tara. I'm Stefania. And in today's episode, we are back for the second installment of our composer series. And today we are talking all about... Steven Schwartz.
1: I feel like we teased this in our Halloween episode, true, not knowing that it was that gonna we come gonna this soon. That's true. That's true. I know I was re-listening to it as I do to hear my own voice. And yeah. I was like, oh, we we knew. It was interesting because as I'm editing
0: this Halloween episode, like we talked quite a bit about Godspell. I'm like, I'm gonna cut this because we're <laughs> gonna talk more about Godspell in this episode and why waste that information on Halloween? Mm-hmm. Steven Schwartz has an interesting career and one that we have talked briefly about on other episodes, mostly because you look at some of these shows, and you're like, oh, that's Stephen Schwartz. I didn't know that. He, in the 70s, was known for three musicals running on Broadway at the same time at the age of 26, which I'm 26. <laughs> Just to put that in perspective.
1: (laughs) So those musicals were Godspell, Pippin, and The Magic Show. I'm fairly familiar with two of those, and one of those I have really never heard of whatsoever.
0: Yes, I have also not heard of The Magic Show until last night as I was doing research for this episode. But we'll get to that later because that is the third of those musicals. Um, Let's start where we ended off our Halloween episode, and let's talk about Godspell. So that production as you mentioned, was really made famous in Toronto because of its crazy cast, which at the time, I mean, it was still like a great cast because of Second City and everything. But now, Looking knowing back, everyone that was in it, it was like, oh my God, <laughs> this is crazy. Andrea Martin, Eugene Levy, uh, Victor Garber, Martin Short. Was Catherine O'Hara in it at some point? I, I think don't she think
1: she so. was. I'm not sure. I think, like, I know Gilda Radner was in it. I yes. I think- Paul Schaefer was the music director.
0: Oh, I think Catherine O'Hara auditioned for it. Didn't oh, yes, I it. think but you're right. I think you're right. <laughs> she, was, she was at a party with Victor Garber. Honestly, the Stars in the House, Second City episode, mm. they talk all about this because Seth Rudetsky was obsessed with the fact that all of these people were in this show in Toronto. But
1: it's funny. It was at the Royal Alex, and that theater is a theater that we still go to all the time, the home of Come From Away, whenever theater's back. And Mm -hmm. so it's funny to think of all the history that's in these theaters all the time. That they had, how's this kind of really famous staging of this show 50 years ago, basically.
0: And also kind of interesting that none of these actors, well, not none of them, but majority of them didn't really end up in a
1: career in theater. Yeah, it's true. Really only Andrea and Victor Garber both have done theater, but someone like a Eugene Levy or a Martin Short they've kind of stayed more in television and movies. So it's, it is interesting that they all kind of came together in this one production.
0: Yeah, Google Godspell 1972 and go look at that cast list <laughs> on all of their pictures. It's amazing. The, the hair, The hair. The, the, the hair. 70s. <laughs> so let's talk a bit about Godspell. We both have not seen a production of Godspell. And I recently listened to the recent revival cast recording i still think that beautiful city is the best song on that cast recording what is your favorite godspell song
1: um i love beautiful city i also really like prepare Ye, which opens the show i love how much it builds at the end it feels so like joyous and lively and i love that we- And yeah, Beautiful City is like stunning. And even Finale, how it kind of like weaves in those themes coming back together. It's kind of funny because Stephen Schwartz wasn't even the original composer of Godspell. It was a show based on Bible verses that had started at Carnegie Mellon and it wasn't quite working. And so they replaced the previous composer with Stephen Schwartz. And there's actually one song that survived from that original production, it's called By My Side. And I remember hearing a story where the cast was kind of skeptical of this new guy coming in because they loved the composers and the songs. And he said, I'm not going to write a new song for this moment because there's nothing I can do to beat by my side. Yeah. And the cast, that kind of won, won the cast over with him because they're like, oh no, he recognizes what's good. We're in good hands because he's it's, he doesn't have the ego to try and replace the whole thing. He knows what is good and what is strong. I think that's interesting. And also he was only 20, he was 23 when the premiered off Broadway. So he was younger writing it, which is crazy to me. It's also interesting. So I watched
0: a very in-depth interview of Steven Schwartz at the Kennedy Center where he talked about all of these shows. He also played um, some songs from the shows. And he talked about that story and how the actors, wanted that song to be in the show. And he actually said that a lot of the staging that existed in that 1972 Broadway show was the same, like nothing was really changed because he really did believe in the original vision. He just needed to come up with some more songs. And one of those songs, which I feel is probably the one that really started his career and gave him that name recognition, was Day by Day.
1: Day by Day by day, oh dear Lord, three
0: things I pray. That song, he said, was that you hear it at the beginning, and then I want you to be singing it as you leave the theater because Godspell, as I think we had mentioned in our last episode, was that it is like a communal. Show. Yeah. Like the actors really do interact with the audience. And I do think that having it at Circle in the Square for that recent revival was the perfect way to do that because it's such an intimate space, even though it is a Broadway house, which again is also why it probably worked very well off Broadway.
1: Mm -hmm. It's like every person in that show is a storyteller because if you think of the Bible, they are all stories told to give certain messages or teach certain lessons. And so the way that the musical is structured is that these are people passing on these stories that they've heard from Jesus or from whoever and passing them on and sharing them. And now they're sharing them with you um, because like that is the way that it was communicated at the time.
0: Yeah. And Godspell also won Stephen Schwartz two Grammys. So obviously that cast recording was well received. And also in this interview, he had said that that was one of the first times. And at the time it was funny. I don't know what year the interview came out, but him and the interviewer was speaking about the fact that, a a song from a cast recording doesn't really hit the charts. And we know Hamilton, like, really broke all of those records. And I do agree that most of the time, except for, you know, like, your Dear Evan Hansen's and your Hamilton's or whatever, Mm -hmm. that, like, songs don't really break out of their cast recording unless there's, like, huge name recognition behind them. So for Mm -hmm. this to happen from Godspell
1: in the 70s was a huge deal. It definitely was. I know it was much more common then, but even still, this kind of sweet song from this show about Jesus to, (laughs) yeah, to make it to the top of the charts or not to the top, but make it to the charts. It is kind of interesting. I always think about Godspell and Jesus Christ Superstar kind of in the same mind space, even though Mm -hmm. they're, they're such different shows. I think they're completely different, but because of the subject matter and because the ending, it is, you know, a very famous story that, So the ending is the same both times, but just the way that they interpret that story, and just the different energy that each show gives out is so interesting to me. Godspell for me had a recent exciting moment when I was watching The Prom on Broadway, and the (laughs) Christopher Sieber's character is in what's his name? Trent? I don't even remember. Trent. Trent. Trent is in the non-equity touring cast of Godspell. I forgot. And they come out and perform at the Monster Truck Rally with the kazoos and it's like, and now the non-equity cast of Godspell. Oh my god,
0: how could we forget that? How could we forget that? That was a pivotal moment when we saw the prom.
1: It it like this better be in the I was just gonna say if they cut that from the movie Like they need to just make joke of Godspell because it is kind of like wacky as a musical concept. It's great, but it is a wacky musical concept. So I love that. That that was the show. But also one of the first, like the very first maybe production that was okay to go during COVID was an outdoor production of Godspell. Yeah. So it, it it's a show that keeps coming back. It is and a very powerful story. It's the 50th anniversary
0: of Godspell this That's year true. too. So it's... It is coming. That's so funny about the prom. The prom. Wow. Well, stay tuned in one month from now when we give you our thoughts on the movie because we're
1: concerned. We're concerned.
0: Um. Yeah. I'm. I'm a little concerned. Let's talk about Pippin, a show that you and I both really like. You know, we
1: love <laughs> Pippin.
0: Um. I. Really loved diving back into that cast recording. It's been a minute since I've listened to it all the way through. It's so good. We're talking about the revival cast recording, the
1: 2013. that's the one I'm most familiar with for sure as well.
0: That show is so interesting because the original version of Pippin was only one act. Mm. And obviously the version that I saw was two acts. So I had read that the intermission spot is kind of like left open to whoever is directing the show um which is kind of interesting and then i had also learned that the end is different for the recent revival everything is like stripped back at the end of pippin as i'm sure if you know pippin you know and when pippin leaves in the version that i saw theo starts to sing uh, corner of the sky at the very end, and then it also brings back the first song of Magic to Do. I'm like, oh my god, is this a Hades Town moment that's happening right now? It's like Are a we cycle. starting again? It is <laughs> the same
1: story told over and over. Yeah, and over again. so I
0: didn't know that the first time I saw it that they had changed it. And Stephen Schwartz says that he prefers this ending because it it does leave it open to the viewer to interpret how they want it to.
1: It is a really interesting I ending. Mean, I love the idea that it's a traveling troop of actors and they go and they find this person and then they like change this person's life and then they pack up and leave and go somewhere else and do the exact same thing again and that's just like made they really nail the point they they nail it hard with a hammer right at the end so you understand what's going on but uh i i think that interesting that ending is really interesting the way it, it leaves you thinking something whereas i think the original ending is kind of just more like a a f- nice clean button, a nice clean bow tied over. Yeah,
0: it. it's just it's over and like you move mm-hmm. on, but this leaves you thinking. You know I like a,
1: a a spooky weird ending, you know.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. I think that this cast recording is so good. And I know that there are a lot of, like, controversies over the fact that, like, Pippin is not Stephen Schwartz's greatest cast recording of all time, which I don't know that it is, but I do think that it's super strong. There are some incredible songs in Pippin. Do you have some
1: favorites? Well, I mean,
0: we've talked about Magic To Do on Mm -hmm. this podcast before. I think that song is phenomenal. I think Patina Miller really puts her mark on that cast recording and Mm -hmm. really makes it everything that it is. Um, I like everybody else loves corner of the sky
1: <laughs> corner of the sky is beautiful that like note at the end that high note at the end yes. every time you're just like oh, is he gonna do it <laughs>
0: I remember it was kind of it was recently uh, in the Politician season two. Ben Platt randomly <laughs> sings Corner of the Sky, and you were listening to, it and you're like, "Oh my god, is he not going to hit that note?" And then there it was. <laughs> you're nervous, it, and it's great. Every <laughs>
1: time someone sings it, it's like, Ugh, "Can he do it?" <laughs> I know. Um, it's but so hard. I also
0: I don't know if we've talked about it before. I feel like we have. I love On the Right Track. I love the end of On the Right Track. It's oh, baby, one of the greatest girl. riffs of all time. Oh, baby,
1: just lingering on My lingering on oh, I'll never find it. Never, 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 never! Shit! Easy! Baby! You're on the right track. On the right track is my favorite from Pippin. I love the I love the choreography of it. This is going to turn into a little Fosse moment here, but yeah. the Fosse choreography of Pippin is amazing. There's a trio that the leading player does with two of the ensemble members that's so characteristically Fosse. I can't remember what song it is too now, but I love that on-the-right-track choreography. Um, I also love Simple Joys. Me that's too. one of my favorites. That's a good one too. And I also feel like I may be capable of singing it. So... <laughs> <laughs> A crab on a slab at the bottom of the sea A noot on the root to the valley tree Or a big on a sweet galley And a man who never learns how to be free Not till the day, not till the day, not till the day, not till the day dies. Those are my favorite. I love the leading player. Anytime she or he gets to... Um, Play and kind of, I don't know, lead is my favorite moments. So those are my two favorites.
0: A song that I hadn't thought about so much until I had done this re-listen was Morning Glow, and specifically the end of Morning Glow, because that is the act one finale moment in the recent versions of Pippin that Mm -hmm. now exist. And it brings all of the songs back, which, like, I'm a sucker for bringing all of those songs back. I really do love when there's callback moments in every show. And I think Matthew James Thomas on that song sounds so good, as he does on Corner of the Sky. He has a great voice. Yeah, that song is like a surprise to me a few years later now, just listening back to it.
1: There's a version on YouTube that I've seen. I'm gonna have to see if I can find it again. It's Seth Rudetsky hosting a show, and he has Jonathan Groff sing um, "Morning Glow," and there's a big choir behind him, and it just shows how the music builds. and It, it I love like the ensemble singing behind him. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love Morning Glow as well. They just—it's—it's it's fun stuff, and I love the like theater troopies, circusy vibes that I think even the music has.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, in this interview that I watched with Stephen Schwartz, he talked about the fact that he had taken the Pippin score and script, um, over to Harold Prince to get his approval. Everything that they had written, which was a two-act musical at the time, he was like, put it into one act and then change your act too. And Stephen Schwartz was at an event with Drum Robbins talking about Fiddler on the Roof. And he was telling him this story about how Hal Prince told them to shorten their act one and make an entirely different act two. And he and he was like, we literally got the exact same request <laughs> to do that for Fiddler. And you guys were the only idiots to say yes. So thanks, Hal Prince. We love Pippin. You know, <laughs> it
1: is interesting because Stephen Schwartz was so young writing these musicals that... Of course. Why wouldn't he follow this advice from? Oh yeah, and that's
0: what he was saying. He was like, "Who am I to say no to this like major producer? Like, of course I'm going to do what he wants me to do because he's Hal Prince. Like, I'm I am nobody. I have no credits to my name. So I respect that decision. (laughs) And again, thank you for Pippin because I'm a fan. But I do agree with you in terms of music, which I mean, that is fully credited to Stephen Schwartz. There is. And I feel like Pippin is probably the first show that does this, but there is, like, fantastical, whimsical elements to all of his music, and I really, really love it. Um, He is a piano genius. Another funny story from this uh, interview, which I love, is he said that when he was younger, he would go to the library and take out scripts of musicals, and he would sit at the piano and rewrite the score to the song without even listening to the song and then he would listen back to the already pre-existing song and be like mine's better (laughs) and that is how you like this
1: teenager
0: is literally just like writing music to these random lyrics and he felt something from them and he took that lesson and brought it into his life so it's so interesting i would love today for him to do something similar, and I would love to hear two songs back to back, one by Steven one not, and what it actually sounds like
1: it, that's so funny that's how he taught himself to write music for storytelling purposes because he had the words and the story but not the sound, and he had to decide yeah. what should the sound be, where should it you know pick up or where should it slow down, and that's how he taught himself to write for musical theater.
0: And in terms of musical style, I think he really excels at the storytelling songs. Mm -hmm. Some of his storytelling songs are my favorite songs outside of the shows itself. They're the ones that I go back and listen to. We'll get into that when we get into Wicked. But Mm -hmm. I do think that his style is super interesting and, yeah, it's something... To learn that at such a young age is so is so cool. Um, the third musical that was running in that time was The Magic Show, which, again, we both really do not know anything about. The Magic Show was originally not a musical, but it was truly a magic show that was performed by Doug Henning, again, in the 70s. And Stephen Schwartz got a phone call from Ed Edgar Lansbury, who as we know, is <laughs> your distant cousin, Steph. And he said, hey, like, this magician is doing some really cool stuff. This was in Toronto, by the way. And we're back at the Royal Alex again. There's this, like, up-and-comer director, Ivan Reitman, who obviously now is not such an up-and-comer director. but um, And he's working on this show, and, like, we want to make it into a musical. And Stephen Schwartz was like, okay, cool. <laughs> um who is this guy? So then I guess they, like, took some meetings and turned this show into a musical. And the main, the lead character, who is Doug Henning, the magician, does not sing in this show. And never sang in the show.
1: I'm I'm reading right now, like, Jennifer Dale was in it in Toronto. Yes! That's so funny. was in my brother's movie?
0: <laughs> well, I have a sixth degree of separation to this. Yes, show. you do.
1: I, I'm just reading that. I was like, oh, yeah, I know who Jennifer Dale is. Um, Paul Schaefer was in the band. You know, these people working on these Stephen Schwartz shows. Yeah. So interesting. So
0: I did go and listen to a song from The Magic Show, which was West End Avenue. And it was the version that I saw was not from The Magic Show. It was actually Jessica Vosk singing it at a cabaret. Mm. Stephen Schwartz was accompanying her and take one guess who was conducting um, that night. Stephen Reinecke? <laughs> Jason Robert Brown. Oh, Jeremy. <laughs> like, Okay, cool. So you're just like at this cabaret show, you know, Jessica Vosk is singing her face off. Stephen Schwartz is playing piano and Jason Robert Brown is conducting. <laughs> That's amazing. The song's great. And it's back to the surly doorman and the.
1: we have heard that song before i don't remember it but Me we um back in 2015 went to the toronto symphony orchestra uh that was 2015 it was
0: 2015 wow. isn't that crazy
1: yeah. um uh, the wizard and i the musical journey of steven schwartz so it was Stephen Reinecke uh conducting, and they brought in some musical theater singers. So Julia Murney was there, Jeremy Jordan was there. We literally went for Jeremy Jordan. We did, but we it went. was it was so fun. Uh, Carrie Manalakos was there, Christopher Johnstone was there, and there was a choir. Um,
0: Side note, when everything does go back kind of to normal, go and check out one of those TSO shows because mm-hmm. they're fantastic. We've gone back time and time again, and I will go back forever. It's some of the, like, most amazing musical songs that you will ever hear because of that incredible orchestra
1: behind the them. orchestra. Oh, that huge, huge orchestra is so much fun. And also, they're only singing the best of the best, you know? Yeah. You're not getting filler music. You're just getting... You're
0: getting exactly what the, you the want here. hear. The highlights,
1: the Yes. Go check out the Toronto Symphony Orchestra because they're awesome.
0: But yeah, that night was incredible. And yes. I also do not remember um, the magic show, no. but there is a filmed version out there that was shot in Toronto, I believe. And mm-hmm. it does seem to be, based on the comments that I read, a lot of people's first introduction to Broadway and their love of Broadway because it wasn't like a straight up musical. Mm. There was so much going on, which like kind of like Pippin. His magic is (laughs) in both, so it's kind of cool. Is that
1: the through line magic? We've got magic to do? I
0: mean, magic comes up later in Wicked, but I don't know about the other ones. That's interesting, maybe.
1: Because even like, I mean, religion is so uh, full of miracles and people doing these like uh, miraculous acts that you wouldn't normally be able to do it's very interesting it's interesting stuff to think about there are a few other shows that some might consider flops maybe that kind of came next for him so something like the baker's wife rags children of eden none of those ever ran on broadway some of them had or actually i lied rags ran on broadway but for 18 previews and four performances so we know nothing about rags we'll just put that out there we know nothing about it's tough man
0: except i did read Because uh, I think the most recent cast recording that's available is they're doing it in the West End or it was supposed to be done in the West End. Yeah, there's a 2020 rags. Yeah, I don't know if it actually ended up opening on the West End, which is also, sorry, let's talk about that for a second. Prince of Egypt was in the West End also at the same time. Mm -hmm. So, multi-Steven
1: Schwartz. (laughs) Yeah, you would have had rags, you would have had Prince of Egypt, also Wicked Wicked is still running there. Yeah. Fascinating. So yeah, so these three shows, The Baker's Wife, Rags, Children of Eden, all kind of uh, lesser known shows. For me, The Baker's Wife, the first time I heard the song Meadowlark was at that Broadway Sting Stephen Schwartz night. Mm -hmm. Um, Julia Murney sang Meadowlark, and it's really the only song from that show that has had any lasting cultural impact. Yeah. And I've heard so many different versions of that. We were talking before we started you know, who is the definitive version of it, and...
0: It's Lindsay Mendez (laughs) for me. It really is. And I feel like I can say that about a few songs that it's Lindsay Mendez for me. There's something about the tone of her voice... And when she gets up there and belts, which let's talk about that for a second before you say your favorite. I think Stephen Schwartz yeah. is really good at a builder song that he lets, you know, it, it flow through all the way and then gives us that huge belter moment at the end. And this is for both male and female parts. Mm-hmm. And it's really like lets the audience wait for that. And then you're mm-hmm. so overjoyed and emotional when it happens. And Lindsay mm-hmm. Mendez for sure does that in Metal on Metal arc. Come along. What is your favorite version of that?
1: I love Alice Ripley singing it. She did a production of The Baker's Wife back in 2005 at Paper Mill Playhouse. Max von Essen was in it, some other people. And there's a video of her singing Meadowlark that is stunning. Her voice is crazy. And I think the tough thing is it's really high, but you don't want your voice to sound thin when you get up there. And I think something that, like, a Lindsay Mendez and an Alice Ripley have in common is that their voice is still really rich and really, like... It really has power when it's that high. You're not losing the power when you get up there because you need it because that is the emotional catharsis moment of the song. Yeah. You're, that's the, they're like letting go and you need that high, high moment. I also, the version on my iPod is. Wow, who says iPod? The version I listen to all the time is Patty LuPone, which is the original cast recording. Um, and she's also amazing. Again, similar thing. You know, you always trust her to be able to get that high and to have that power up there. My favorite moment is that is where it says, um, Still I know I've got to go. <laughs> like, it just like, you're like, ah! Still I know.
0: I wonder if because that song is I'm just looking at like where it where it sits on the cast recording, it's song twelve on the London um original cast recording. And that is kind of late in the show that whoever is playing that character, like they need to think about that the entire. That vocal time. health,
1: that vocal health. At least it's not at the end of Act Two or something, you know. At least it's. uh...
0: Yeah, and Stephen Schwartz has said that um, his favorite song, maybe that he's ever written, is the opening number from The Baker's Wife, which oh, is. Interesting. Chanson. That's my French for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> wow, my mother, the French teacher. was Yeah, just I, so I was like a French
1: teacher's daughter is not. Uh, <laughs>
0: Um, But yeah, he had said that that is his, maybe one of his favorite songs that he's ever written. Um, And half of it is in French, which is interesting. That's great. Again, we know nothing on rags, so we're going to skip that for now. But let's talk a bit about Children of Eden and why Lost in the Wilderness is so special (laughs) to (laughs)
1: me. I actually have lots to say about Children of Eden. So I actually sent a text to... My best friend, Alessandra, who was in a production of Children of Eden in high school. And I just wanted wanted to know. I was just like, what was that experience like? How was it?
0: I wouldn't have thought that that was such an ensemble show. But I guess it is.
1: It is because um, the family. So it's the family. But it's also act two is Noah's Ark. So Mm. everyone's like an animal. You can duplicate those animals Yes, you can have exactly two of each. And you can have just any kind of animal you want. So you can have a huge ensemble in that show. But it's also... Uh, the family. So the first act is um, Adam and Eve and their sons, Cain and Abel. And then act two is um, the same actors playing uh, Noah and his wife and his children. So it's like a double cast, two separate stories. Mm -hmm. Um, Again, another religious story. My friend who was saying you have to cast someone in act one who can also then do the songs in act two. So you really have to think about uh, that casting. The song that she said is a banger is Wasteland, which is really beautiful. I started listening to it I was like oh this is interesting and then it just gets really belty and fun. In the wasteland. But yes, back to Lost in the Wilderness.
0: (laughs) Another Jimmy Award connection is is what we found with Lost in the Wilderness.
1: Antonio Cipriano. (laughs) Any tenor age 22 and under is singing Lost in the Wilderness. Oh, yeah. That's my feelings. (laughs) That is, like, the audition song for men. Yes. Once you turn 22, you need to stop singing that song. (laughs) Like, stop it.
0: (laughs) Well, but, like, Jeremy Jordan sang it, and he can get it, so he can hit those notes. Okay, you're
1: right. I know. It's high. It gets really high at the end. Well,
0: so that's on the same track of what I was saying a bit earlier of, like, this builder of a song. Mm. Out of nowhere. It's, like, left field. You get this high note, and, again, like, you need the stamina to, to get up there and hit those notes, but when it's done and when it's done well, it's magic.
1: We're lost in the wilderness.
0: Don't you ever watch the eagle fly to the sun and wonder how we got to feel so free? If you ever had you know your journey's begun, hey, what have you got to lose, boy, when already we are lost? Those high notes for a tenor singer, it's so good. It's so, like, pleasant to listen to, and I love it. I sw- Last night I was watching literally all of these different guys <laughs> sing so the Lost climax Wilderness. of Lost in the Wilderness, and... It's great. Everyone's good. And everyone that was on this compilation hit it.
1: So that's excited. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. Don't get go on the compilation if you can't hit it. I also yeah. really like Spark of Creation, which is the opening number of that show. I remember when at the concert they sang it and that's how they kind of introduced everyone. Yeah. And for every like different verse, a new singer would come out. It's a fun... I don't know. I like it as an opening number. I think it works as an opening number.
0: And then interestingly, Stephen Schwartz kind of like steered away from musicals for a little bit. And he got a phone call from you know, Disney.
1: <laughs> and those people, those guys. <laughs> he,
0: uh, he was studying psych at NYU at the time, which, amazing. <laughs> and gets this phone call and was like, hey, like we've heard of Pippin. And as you've heard the unfortunate news that Howard Ashman has passed away from the complications of the AIDS pandemic and we're looking for someone to write with Alan Menken. Would you come in for an audition? And he said like a couple months went by and like nothing happened. And then he saw Alan Menken at an event and he was like, I want you to work with me. Like, can we do this? (laughs) And so they did. And two of those big Disney movies with amazing music is Pocahontas and The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Now, I could talk about The Hunchback... um, cast recording which Mm. i will after we talk about the movie but let's talk about pocahontas for a bit because those i think were some of my favorite songs as a kid Growing up, i love colors of the wind i feel like every little girl loves colors of the wind but the song that like really stood out to me when i was little was just around the river bend because i Mm. wanted to just like (laughs) stand on the top of a mountain and sing waiting (laughs) just around the river dream the day might send just around the river bend
1: for me that's so funny i know they are really really beautiful songs uh it is judy kuhn as the voice of poke Poca- as the singing voice of pocahontas anyway and she just has this like beautiful tone that is singing these songs and colors of the wind i don't know
0: it's so emotional
1: <laughs> it is so emotional and you- With all the colors of the wind When you're little, it is about nature It is about the world around you It is about appreciating life I don't know, that was That's one that has like really Always stuck with me I remember, I don't know Reading something about Pocahontas in university And my friend who I was talking to Had never seen or heard of Pocahontas And I was in Mortified. <laughs> I was. I was like, "You've never watched Pocahontas. You don't know Colors of the Wind. Wow. You don't know all of this." And he's like, "No." And, I'm and like, it's so oh.
0: funny because um, Steven Schwartz said that when he got the call from Disney originally, he was like, "I don't know that I want to write for animation because my whole thing is, you know, this." woman or man gets a a three minute song and like nothing is really happening around them. And you're just like listening to that person sing. And with animation, there's a whole world happening around them. And he said, if I write for Disney, I just want the main character to be like singing over a waterfall in a boat. And (laughs) I feel like he got that. It is interesting, though, because I never thought of like writing music for animation before and how you you do have to write for everything that's going on and it kind Mm -hmm. of put it in perspective for me when i watched the making of frozen 2 documentary and how bobby and kristen lopez were such a huge part of that entire animation process and how they would like call them in to be like we've just done this and now you need to change this so you Mm -hmm. really are at like the beck and call of the senior producers Mm -hmm. and the animators and everybody that works on the movie you're not just like
1: here's my songs hope you enjoy like you are a part of it it's a constant collaboration because you, they might have an idea for a stunning visual to come,
0: mm-hmm. but now
1: you need music to match it, and it's always right. It probably right up until the end, right up until the picture is locked. They're going back and forth.
0: Um, let's talk about Hunchback for a bit because I think that movie is great. Um, another one that I think is super underrated because it got a, the rap that it was scary because obviously Quasimodo is not your typical Disney mm-hmm. character, but. The songs in that movie are so powerful, but I want to talk about the 2016 cast recording of The Hunchback, which features Michael Arden, Patrick Page, Sierra Renee, Michael Arden as Quasimodo. If you have not listened to this cast recording fully, like you need to go and listen to this cast recording fully because it is some of the most beautiful vocal selections I've ever heard and something that I love about um, this cast recording is that they wrote uh, Stephen Schwartz wrote a new song that was just for the musical version not the movie version and it's called Made of Stone which is such a powerful Quasimodo song but what I love about it is that everyone knows Out There because Out There is the standout moment from that show but it's a second Song for him to really show off what he can do with his voice because out there is legitimately song three. Um, and this is like right before the end. My one human eye will
1: evermore be dry until the day I die.
0: I think that cast recording is so stunning. Um, Patrick Page's Frollo is so haunting on that cast recording. And Sierra Renee's Esmeralda has some of the most beautiful vocal moments, um, specifically when she sings Someday. I love the music from Hunchback. And again, it brings in that like fantastical, whimsical Mm -hmm. organ, uh, piano, bells. You really don't hear bells that often in musicals.
1: But this is the perfect show for bells, because he lives in the bell tower.
0: It's so... the overture and the finale specifically like the last 30 seconds of the finale where all of these like giant bells come in then this like huge choir chorus comes in and it's so orchestral and so beautiful I cannot say enough good things about this cast recording. I love it so much. And I want to see a version of Hunchback on stage. I really am dying to see a version.
1: See I think there, there's, they've announced a live action movie version, which, I mean, I don't feel, I don't have any positive feelings towards those, but it has been announced. And I'm kind of interested to see how they do that and make it like gritty and kind of because I think it is kind of a grittier story
0: I would hope that they take the darker turn to it you know what I mean like because it's you want to be dark
1: it's based on a Victor Hugo novel right so same as like Les Miserables it's very I, I, I picture like Living in the gutter, I don't know. Yeah.
0: And to bring in the Jimmies again, um, there are so many high schools that do
1: productions That's of so so true. All these boys show up with their little like hunch, <laughs> their little like back thing.
0: Yes. And I love watching all of the kids play Quasimodo. It's so great. Um, but again, like those are some of the hardest male songs to sing. Uh it's like really up there in your register and it. It really does get to showcase um, whoever sings those songs I do think that out there is probably one of those songs again that's used at many many auditions <laughs> and that's a
1: big belt at the end again he always has like a good I want song very early yeah. like very early where the song just goes right up to the top right at the beginning to show you like this is your powerful main character this is look what they're capable of look what they have within them and then you watch the rest of the story to them build to like show it to the rest of the world. Here, oh! taste a morning out there like ordinary men who freely walk about there
0: i do think that steven schwartz like his best work is his i want songs i do those think are really that. good i agree yeah
1: and i i also think it's funny to think that paper mill production with michael arden was in 2015 that's also the same year he directed spring awakening on broadway so just this like multi talent.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he really is i've said this on other episodes and i do think that his like direction on certain things is also fantastic but like mm. get him back on stage because that yeah. voice needs to be heard it's amazing um we're gonna jump around in years here a bit but just a another disney movie that he did and another one that i love is enchanted and yes. we did a
1: production of enchanted that's, <laughs> that's true we did do a production of enchanted oh those are the days <laughs> where is i wonder if there was an actual licensed stage script of enchanted we did not have the, not we. the
0: one that i wrote where i watched enchanted and then basically wrote verbatim what was happening don't sue me (laughs) disney disney Disney. the production happened years ago. it was seven years ago okay
1: (laughs) that music is so much fun i love that movie i think it's so smart the way it skewers animated princess movies um and the way that amy adams is such a good actress and we always see her in a lot of dark roles but in this movie she is so fully committing to being this like bubbly, bright princess mm-hmm. um, and singing these songs. And there's the contrast of her having these princess songs, these princess moments with like kind of like the dirty streets of New York and then her kind of making them over to be animated and Patrick Dempsey just kind of wandering through being like, what is happening here?
0: We cannot forget about the star, James Marsden.
1: <laughs> that's, that's 100% correct. James <laughs> Marsden is actually the star of that movie. Um, and also Adina Menzel, who does not sing.
0: Yeah, it and um, what's her name? Uh Jodie Benson is also in it.
1: That's true. That's true. The original yeah. voice of Ariel, a little other Disney uh yeah. princess.
0: I do agree. I love that movie. I love how colorful it is. Oh, also mm-hmm. Susan Sarandon as the yes. evil queen is. Oh my god. So many good people. Amazing. Yeah, great people. I think the best song in that movie, and also the best song in our production of Enchanted, was That's How You Know. It starts off. You know like your typical princessy song Giselle just walks through Central Park and starts singing with all of the people and it's so fun and ends up in this huge dance number and I love it <laughs>
1: is the best use of the idea of that movie, of this princess taking over New York City. And you're involving all the different street performers that you would see in Central Park in New York City. And it's just a blast.
0: Yeah. Um, I think Happy Working Song is also such a cute song. Mm-hmm. And I really do love the Cinderella almost callback of the little animals singing true love's kiss to yes. Giselle.
1: It is kind of a parody movie. It's taking these princess movies that Disney is so well known for and kind of flipping it on its head and kind of, oh, this is how silly it is, but also it's not silly at all. Yeah. Um, it's it's fun. And
0: apparently there's a second Enchanted coming out, which like TBC, no one knows <laughs> when it's actually coming out, but Stephen Schwartz is credited to be writing the music and lyrics, so
1: that's right. exciting. It's supposed to be called Disenchanted, yeah. which I think is a good title. Um, But it's still in development. So we'll see if that ever actually happens. Back to the 90s for a second. So while Stephen Schwartz
0: was in the middle of writing with Alan Menken for Pocahontas and Hunchback, he he got a call from, you know, DreamWorks and said... (laughs) hey, we're working on this movie that's about the Ten Commandments. And he was like, no, I don't want to do it. And they were like, well, let's talk about it a bit more. It's not just about the Ten Commandments. And that movie is The Prince of Egypt. And the reason that Stephen Schwartz was allowed to work for DreamWorks was because he did not have an exclusive contract with Disney, whereas Alan Menken did. Mm. And he said that he actually had started to write songs for Mulan when he got the call for Prince of Egypt. And Disney was so upset that he took Prince of Egypt that they took Mulan away from him. So wow. we'll never know what that score could have sounded like. Again, in the same, I mean, back to religious and spiritual and all that, The Prince of Egypt is definitely one of those movies. Um, this score is stunning.
1: This is low-key really a good, <laughs> <laughs> no, low key a good
0: movie. No, it's not it low-key a good <laughs> movie. No, it's high key
1: I remember watching this in religion class in high school. I don't think I'd ever seen it before, and just being surprised at how good it is it's such a good adaptation of the moses story
0: i don't know if it ever had performances i want to say it had a few performances but prince of egypt is when the west end reopens is playing in the west end and there is a brand new cast recording it's great um i don't think that you can talk about the prince of egypt without talking about when you believe because that is the best song it is so powerful so amazing i've listened to a billion versions of it
1: Two of my faves, Whitney and Mariah, right there. Just like two average singers.
0: I will say, I do love that version. I also really love the 2020 cast recording version, but mm. the best version of that song came out this year. And Stephen Schwartz was a part of the uh, Saturday Night Seder back in April mm. for Passover. And Shoshana Bean and Cynthia Revo sang When You Believe, it is like no other. Small iconic queens first of all but their voices on these songs incredible also another favorite of mine is uh renee Rapp and natalie weiss
1: that is
0: something to listen to those riffs the two of them the riff off amazing um but yeah that song is fantastic i think
1: that that might be one of his best songs he's ever done it won the Oscar. It won the Academy Award. A stunning, stunning, gorgeous song. And it l- works well in the movie, but then it also works well as just a single. It is gorgeous.
0: That's true. I hadn't thought about that. That a lot. There's a few of Stephen Schwartz's songs that work so well in a cast recording sounding, but also work so well as singles. Mm-hmm. You know, he just knows how to write them. <laughs> he knows how to write a song. Speaking about knowing how to write a song, you know, he worked on this show that no one's ever heard of called Wicked. Um, I know nothing about it, clearly. Never heard of it. Never heard <laughs> Never of it.
1: Never heard of it. I think this is actually interesting because I, I'm going to, for me, Wicked was the first Stephen Schwartz show that I heard anything from. And I'm assuming the same was for you. So I'll talk about what I heard first, cause, but I think you have a longer story. I had obviously heard
0: Pocahontas and Hunchback and all mm, that, but not right, knowing right. that it was Stephen Schwartz. That's yes. true.
1: That's true. Definitely our first introduction was Disney movies. That's so funny that these were songs in our lives before we ever even... Knew what a composer was. Yeah. From like, <laughs> it's true. Think about like how old we were in 1995. You know, those were one. just like literally, um, those were just songs that were in our world before we knew. But yeah. So as a theater fan, the first song I heard from Stephen Schwartz was popular from Wicked. Um, I, you know, grew up dancing and at dance competitions and going to theater summer camps. And I think they, it was just another one of those ones on burnt CDs of (laughs) like burnt mix CDs that we would listen to and play Um, but I don't remember loving it the first song from Wicked that I loved when I heard was what is this feeling loathing unadulterated loathing for your face your voice your clothing let's just say I love it all every I just, like, the sense of humor in that song and the comedy in that song really spoke to me. I thought it was so funny Mm -hmm. and so clever. Mm -hmm. And then I would kind of heard a few songs, but I didn't, I wasn't a huge Wicked fan until I saw it in person. And for me, I think it is one of those ones that seeing it in person just changes the whole game. Um, It's Before seeing it in person, I was, like, indifferent kind of to the cast recording. But after seeing it, it, like, made me fall in love.
0: That's so interesting because Patrick and I from the original cast had this exact conversation. (laughs) And he does not like the cast recording Mm -hmm. because he's never seen the show. Um, I've seen Wicked eight times. So I don't like the show, obviously. Um, No, I love Wicked. Wicked is, like the show for me i had not heard anything from wicked until i saw wicked mm-hmm. and like you going to musical theater camps and um i had taken like drama classes at school but never that never came up and i saw wicked when it came to toronto for the first time in 2005 i talk about this more in our show that changed It all episode but that see he- hearing the first notes of the overture. I was like, oh my god, what is this musical? Literally, for lack of better phrase, what is this feeling so sudden and new? And I have not stopped listening to it for the last 17 years. So the first song I think that like really stood out to me was... Again, an amazing I Want song, The Wizard and I. Let's talk about that 2015 <laughs> performance because it, like, I had seen Wicked a few times before we had seen that 2015 performance, but Carrie Manilaco sang The Wizard and I and at the time did not know who she was. We later found out that she played basically Catherine McPhee in the 54 Below version of Hit List. Iconic. Um, Go watch that on YouTube because it's great. And... She comes out and she sings this version of Wizard and I, which I have recently found another version of her singing The Wizard and I, and I did watch it last night and it did make me cry. (laughs) I don't think, and I feel like you feel the same way, I had never felt so emotionally attached to a song before, until she sang it, it's
1: the greatest version I've ever heard. The best time I've ever heard someone sing "The Wizard." And I, we were in tears. We were, we were shrieking. I remember we'd made friends with some people in the row in front of us, and like it was happening, and we're all just like looking at each other, like, yeah. can you believe this is happening in front of us?" As it ended,
0: they turned around, and we all had the same reaction. Was like, we know this song. We've heard this mm-hmm. song for ten years. Like we, I literally know this song inside and out, but never had it affected me in that way. <laughs> I think that she was one of the people that maybe started like changing up the way that you sing mm-hmm. that song. Um it's really in the biggest part again, thank you Stephen Schwartz for making a builder of a song. <laughs> and he did talk about this kind of at length in the interview that I watched. The Wizard and I was not originally the Wizard and I. It was a song called Making Good and it was not written for Idina Menzel. It was actually written for Stephanie J. Block because Stephanie J. Block was in some of those original readings and When Idina signed on for it, he was like, I can't have this song that just, like, doesn't go anywhere because everyone knows her for her belt. But I'm going to make the audience wait for it. And it is one of the best wait-for-it moments. It is such an, like, an emotional song when you hit that moment and... The storyline that's happening around it again with his like
1: storyteller of a song I think that this is one of his best. It's really dense in storytelling there's a lot to get out in that song you 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 have to pay attention you have to listen there's a lot of words coming at you. <laughs>
0: yeah and he, I think that the beauty of that song is that every person that plays alphabet does it kind of differently it depends how you choose to play your alphabet and even though Carrie wasn't really playing alphaba like she gave us so much in that performance that, yeah, it was so incredible. Have never heard it sung that way ever. No. But I love that song so much. And then obviously like Defying Gravity, I think like anybody, when you hear that song for the first time, you are taken aback by just how Powerful Again, a really rich storytelling song that you Mm -hmm. wouldn't expect unless you actually like dig in and look at those lyrics. I
1: think something really interesting about Wicked, and I don't think Wicked is a perfect musical, but I do think a good musical theater song, you, you are at a very different place at the end of the song than you were at the beginning of the song. And I think that is so true of every single song in Wicked. Every one of them carries the plot so far forward. They are such like storytelling, movement, emotional songs. And you can, you're being given so much information and you're being given so much insight into the character's emotions. Yeah. And they're so well-crafted in that way to give you that story. Going back to The Wizard and I, I just remember when I saw it on Broadway for the first time. And The Wizard and I made me cry. And I don't even know if it was the song, but I was just thinking of, What an amazing moment for these actresses to get to go out every night and sing this song. I was just getting emotional for them because I'm sure, like, that's the dream kind of song to sing. Something that is such a good song for you to be acting and singing and to show off your voice and just being alone on stage and belting out. And that's what got me emotional, thinking about, like, the human behind the character character. Mm-hmm. singing these songs and having that moment on stage every night
0: and not just the human behind the character i think that character of elphaba it's like herself is such an interesting character mm-hmm. and one that doesn't really get played super often of a girl that really doesn't believe in herself until she is transported into a world wh- where she feels that she belongs and i think that the wicked story is probably more Relevant in today's world than it ever has been of outsiders and bullying and everything that's going on. And it's so interesting to look at that show and see that 17 years later it's still running and there's so many aspects that can fit into each year that it's been on. But I want to talk a bit about Galinda and how. Galinda was not written for a soprano because Kristen Chenoweth was not signed on at the very beginning. And then when she signed on and Stephen heard her voice, he was like, well, great. What am I supposed to do with this score now? And he had said that the soprano aspects, the operatic aspects that obviously needed to be there because that is Kristen's sweet spot. Yeah.
1: Why wouldn't um, you use it if you had it? <laughs>
0: exactly. And he said that that is Galinda's public persona. So when mm-hmm. she speaks that. to the Ozians, like that's what she uses. And it got me thinking about Thank goodness, which I know is a song that you also love. And mm-hmm. that's kind of a song where she really does play with her like belting and mix and soprano but also like alto sweet moments because like her relationship is not great in that moment and I love that Golinda gets to belt, the best part in that song, the bridges you cross, you never, that whole section (laughs) is so good. It's the best part of thank goodness. And it's because yes, she is speaking to the public, but she's broken inside. Mm -hmm. So she isn't that putting on that performance anymore. And then at the end, you get her soprano operatic high moments because she has this fight with Fiero and she's like, what am I doing? Like I need to speak to the Aussians again. So here is my persona. I'm gonna speak to the people. And this is the voice that I'm putting on. And it like made me think about her character in such a different way than I never had before.
1: There's a kind of a sort of cost. There's a couple of things get lost. There are bridges you cross you need. Glinda is really an interesting character. And she's kind of the one that I would be interested in playing. Which, me too. <laughs> <laughs> no, but so I funny. used to always
0: say, I was like, Alphabet is me. Like, I need to play Alphabet. No. And then as I got older, was like, Glinda. Oh, like, is interesting. Galinda. Yeah. <laughs> she is
1: the interesting character because I like the idea of the difficult choices. And both those characters have to make really difficult choices. And you see the different consequences for each of them. Yeah. And neither are really... End up in a great place, if that makes sense. You know, it's, it, it, they're really such interesting. It's a really interesting dichotomy that they, that they start out in the same place and then they, um, have to separate, which is the Defying Gravity moment. And then you see the consequences of those actions. It's really great.
0: Some of the obviously highlights Wizard and I, what is this feeling? Um, I love the I'm not that girl, I'm not that girl reprise. Dancing through life is amazing. No good deed. Thank goodness. And then I love for good so much. It has been a song that has been in my life for so many years. I've sung it so many times and it is like that perfect friendship moment that everything leads to this place at the show. And I also think that the orchestrations are incredible and Wicked is one of those shows that 100% brings in that fantastical elements the whimsical elements you know like there are some bells in there the piano it's harp probably chimes everything it's so interesting to listen to on its own and again like 17 years later and the show is still running and still has so many fans but the origin story of wicked is kind of interesting <laughs> steven schwartz was on vacation in hawaii and someone that he was with was reading this book called wicked and he was like, what is that? And she was like, you know, it's about the story of like the other side of the Wizard of Oz. It's from the Wicked Witch's perspective. And he said that they were scuba diving and he thought about this. He was like, oh my God, I need to write this musical. And when he got back to the mainland, he called his agent. He was like, you need to find out who has the rights to this because like, I need it. So he called got the ri- uh, and found out who got the rights. It was, you know, none other than Mark Platt at Universal. Our fave,
1: <laughs> our fave Mark Platt.
0: Who was at that time, I don't know what year it was, but to put things in perspective, it's 2020, and they're still trying to get that Wicked movie made. He was trying to get the Wicked movie made, but not a musical movie, just a straight hmm. movie. And Mark Platt did not want to give up the script to Stephen Schwartz. He was like, here are X number of scripts from Universal. Please take any of these and turn them into a musical Wicked is Mine. And then two or three months later called Stephen Schwartz and was like, you're right, let's make it into a musical. And here we are. It's one of, it's probably in the top however now of the longest
1: running shows on Broadway. I, I think it is in the top five. I think it might be right up there. I, You know, I think it's kind of lucky that it was Mark Platt who had the rights probably because he fell in love with that story but the, uh, someone who was a big fan of musicals who could see something as a musical yes, to end up with those rights to then give them back to Stephen Schwartz.
0: Mark Platt had been in Pippin so he respected right.
1: Stephen. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like he, he was aware of the world he knew of Stephen and I think if someone else had those rights maybe it wouldn't have gone it would have gone in a different direction
0: it's so interesting and obviously we can't like place anything but to think of a musical that like is so beloved by me for example like wicked like to to think that someone else could write this i don't know what it would sound like (laughs) no it's crazy it is crazy (laughs) it's cool to think about that that show written by someone who we had been introduced to his work as literal babies
1: yeah. has led us here <laughs> it's true it's true it is it's funny that there is a there's a Stephen schwartz for every age <laughs> yeah there is there is somewhat of a theme that i've kind of noticed and it is the idea of this outsider chosen one person like there is one person and i in most of the shows i kind of see that there is this one person that has that has to save everyone or has to or has been set apart set set upon a task that he has to do and like how this person, whether it be Alphaba or what's Pippin and Pippin or I don't know, like the Adam, hunchback. Yeah. The hunchback. They all are this, like these outsiders in this world. Yeah. And then they have to like rise to the occasion, step up to the moment and accomplish something. And I think it's just kind of an interesting through line that I've seen and all these things. And maybe that's chance that those are the stories that he was drawn to write for and tell those people's stories. I think is very very interesting through line through his career
0: that wraps up our thoughts and feelings on all of these steven schwartz shows such an interesting career we've definitely found some things that he does in all of his shows and i'm excited to dive into another composer whenever we get to do this again because it's really interesting to go through their career path and with that being said it is now
1: time for our obsession of the week (laughs) Okay, Steph, what is it? (laughs) Okay, so this week, you know, it's funny, we were just talking about Stephanie J. Block. She has such a tie to Wicked. Um, There is a song from the musical 9 to 5 that Stephanie J. Block sings called This is so
0: (laughs) random. (laughs) I feel like every week now... Maybe not every week now, but your <laughs> sessions surprise me now.
1: You know, I'm just I'm just always keeping track of things. You're branching I'm out. Just, I'm branching You're just out, branching out. So the song is called "Get Out and Stay Out," and it's a huge kind of kiss-off anthem. Um, Stephanie J. Block's character Judy, her ex-husband shows up, and she is done with him. And yes. she sings "Get Out and Stay Out," and it is an amazing use of her voice in that song. And you are just rooting for this woman to stand up for herself. And she does. And she just lets it out in a way that only Stephanie J. Block can. And it just hits right all the way up at the top, very high at the end. And it's so exciting. And it is such a good anthem. I feel like it's an ultimate breakup song. It's a power move, you know? Yeah. (laughs) When someone, if someone wants your... uh, wants you back or if someone wants something from you, but you're over them, this is the song to play to them. Get out and stay out, Stephanie J. Block in 9 to 5.
0: Amazing. A through line in our obsessions, former <laughs> Alpha Buzz. Former Alpha Buzz always. I have been waiting for months to use this as an obsession because there are not super high quality videos on the internet. Mm-hmm. Jessica Vosk <laughs> in Joseph. I just yes. love that mega mix. I know you love it too. Yes, um, I agree. there was a production of Joseph in February, which seems crazy that it was in February. Michael
1: Arden directed. Wow,
0: <laughs> this production of Joseph was at the Lincoln Center in February. It featured the craziest cast: three narrators, Jessica Vosk, Eden Espinosa, Alex Newell. Reading those three names alone, I was like. Oh my God, this production's gonna be amazing. Also featured our faves, Andy and Orfe. Yeah. Um, Merle Dandridge was in it and. Noah Galvin. Sorry. No, sorry. Well, <laughs> Noah Galvin and his jorts is what we're gonna okay. get to later. Okay. We'll get to Okay, but, never mind. Um, uh, Mikhail Kilgore, Bonnie Milligan. Um, who else? Jason Gote is in it. I f- love Joseph, first of all. Um, it was a movie. The Donnie Osmond VHS is what I watched all the time. And. Yeah, Noah Galvin and his jean shorts. This, like, modern take on Joseph is how (laughs) Joseph needs to be done. Everywhere now, which is so funny because they did it on the West End. I think it was just not like in the Olivier's um, for this year. And it was like your classic Joseph. So to compare that production to this production. But there is a video online, which it is not super high quality because the audience is screaming their faces off as they it one should. one night only.
1: I, I watch it every day and scream. <laughs>
0: I also watch it daily. Um, and it is the Megamix. And... I have never heard women sing like this before <laughs> and Jessica Vosk recently posted a video on Twitter which is what I will play for you now. We're just like belting and riffing and hitting these notes that are shouldn't be humanly possible and then like she brings it back again for that finale there are two videos online if you want to watch one of them is theater mania one of them is eight minutes and one of them is three minutes and i suggest you watch them both because <laughs> when those videos were released i think we sent them to each other like basically <laughs> at the same time of have you seen this
1: this is incredible it's incredible it's insane just the vocal gymnastics it feels like they're competing against each other trying to outsing each other at all times
0: but the best part of that too is that like all of the people that are playing the brothers when Mm -hmm. like Eden Espinosa is singing when Jessica Voska is singing when Alex Newell is singing they're like cheering them on like Noah Galvin (laughs) at one point is like whipping his
1: hands in the air just like like he cannot believe a voguing Joseph we've never seen the likes of a voguing Joseph before like Noah Galvin (laughs) amazing it's so funny because wasn't Ariel Satchel supposed to do it and then Noah Galvin and then we it. saw this video where like Ariel Satchel and Noah Galvin are just like not Different people.
0: the same person <laughs> like how would this have played out I also forgot um Brooks Ashmanskis was in it Gavin Lee was in it like everybody uh, was in Armstrong that. Johnson
1: was in it as one of yeah. the brothers like so many people
0: I watch it all the time it's so good I wish I wish that someone had like pro shot of that performance because I would watch it, it every day <laughs> It would replace my Donny Osmond VHS. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need that anymore. That wraps up our obsessions. And as you know, over the past few weeks, we've been using our small platform to highlight different organizations. And in honor of Alphaba and her love of the animals and Wicked, we are highlighting today Broadway Barks. They are an organization in New York. But if you are listening to this episode on the day that it is released, tonight in the uk there is an event that is called west end Woofs, and it is hosted by bernadette peters and elaine page and broadway barks west end Woofs is um, an organization that helps dogs and cats in rescue shelters all around the uk this is specifically to the uk for this event to find their forever homes raise awareness for animal adoption in the uk and educate the british public on responsible pet ownership with the help of West End and British celebrities. Um, for more information on this event, you can go to broadwaybarks.com and it will be streaming tonight on broadway.com. So that is who we're highlighting today. We will also share this information on, on our social media. So you can follow us at Off To Be
1: Podcast. That's with the number two. And you can listen to us anywhere podcasts are found. And we would love it if you would leave us a rating and a review on Apple iTunes. And we will see you guys next time. Bye.